0: You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Hey, podcasters. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Church Podcast. Wanted to give you a quick intro on this message because this past Sunday was an incredibly emotional service for us. One of our deacons, Benny Higgs, found out this past week that he has a mass on his brain And so the church gathered and laid hands on him to pray for him before the message. And so this Sunday sermon is pretty raw and emotional, and I wanted you to kind of have an idea of where it was coming from. While I'm with you, let me just say thanks so much for subscribing to the podcast, tuning in, listening to these messages. We greatly appreciate it. If you would join me in Nehemiah chapter 1, I'm going to do my best uh, to proclaim the Lord's Word to us today and give us encouragement and instruction. As we move into summer, I wanted to bring us back to a common refrain that I have been lifting up for the past several months. Seven months ago, on the first Sunday of November, I spoke about the original core group that started our church everyday people whom God raised up, that He transformed, that He changed that he deepened, that he grew to become the leaders of the church that we are a part of today, that we have been blessed with these 34 years. I spoke of the fact that they weren't born church leaders, that they didn't arrive as wise and spiritual and godly as they have become, but rather they were just like the rest of us and that they needed the Lord And God has done a work in them. I spoke of the fact that God loves to do the extraordinary through the ordinary. And that includes ordinary people. God has done extraordinary things through the ordinary people that established Faithful Baptist Church. God did a wonderful work through them and we get to enjoy the fruits of that harvest and that labor. God had done that, that in the past, and we were celebrating that because it was Anniversary Sunday, a uh, first Sunday of November every year is a day for us to remember the, the, the founding of our church on the first Sunday of November in 1982. And so we talked about that in the fast, past, and then I, I shifted our focus towards the future, and I invited everyone present to join the new core group, the group that would establish the church that our neighbors and friends would one day join. The group that would build the church that our children will one day lead. I said in 34 more years, they'll celebrate again at the 64, 68th anniversary. And you may remember I said, they'll need a photo to remember this day by, so we snapped one right here in church. Then I spoke to you about the, the way that we will become those leaders, 34 years from now, that through this period, we will have to follow Jesus, grow in groups, serve on teams. Follow Jesus. Allow Him to show us the way. Allow Him to point out the the brokenness in us that needs to be redeemed. Allow Him to show us the gifts that He's given us, that He would have us to use in service for Him. To grow together in groups, to, to learn God's Word and how it applies to our lives and transforms our marriages and our parenting and our finances, changes the way that we view this world and the culture that is all around us, changes the way that we, we think about everything and then serve our community, and one another on teams that will give themselves to share the gospel, to encourage those that are following the Lord, but going through adversity. That's the way that we'll build. That's the way the New Accord Group will build a church. And not a church of brick and mortar, of wood and drywall, but a church of people, a group, a place where people can come, they can find hope and encouragement and kindness and authenticity and people who confess their faults and sins to one another and pray for one another. We will build that through following Christ, growing and serving. And as I I bring back this idea and I I beat this drum again, I, I believe that in all of us there is this desire to build something. There is this hope, this this longing in our hearts to build something, to leave our fingerprints upon something that matters, that will have meaning to those who come behind us. I think in all of us there is this, this calling to leave footprints that we would want others to step into and follow. So I want us to look in Scripture at a man who did that very thing. He built something that mattered. Nehemiah built a wall around Jerusalem. And we're talking about building a church. Nehemiah built a wall. But Nehemiah's process, his steps, what he cared about, what he desired, is the same as ours. We'll build the same way Nehemiah built. And we need to start where Nehemiah started. So look with me, if you would, at Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chizlu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem." Now, as we'll see, Nehemiah was a Jew who was not living in his homeland, but he was a part of those who had been carried away from his homeland. He was living as an exile, serving in the palace away from home. And there in the palace, there happened to be some of his, his kindred, some of his people, some of the people from Israel, Jerusalem, people that, that they, had, they lived in his homeland. And he asked them how things were. In verse 3, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It's not good news. How is Jerusalem? How are our people? Not good. The people are afflicted, and they are a reproach. They are going through great trial and they are ashamed. The walls around the city itself are broken down. The gates are burned. Now, in that day, the strength of a city wasn't in the Parks and Recreation Department. It wasn't in the Small Business Owners Association. It wasn't in the local art scene. It was in the walls and gates that established the borders and protection around the city. And in the morning, the gates would be open and it would be the place where everyone would come in to do their commerce in the city and everyone living in the city would go out to do their work in the fields. When we talked about Ruth a few weeks ago, when Boaz wanted to run into the man who was the closest kindred, Redeemer, Boaz went to the city gates because that was the center of the city. That was the place that he would find him. So the city gates are this place that give the, the, the city, its, it's center and it's, its source of pride. They're burned. The walls have fallen down. So verse 4 gives us Nehemiah's reaction. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and let thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Nehemiah is devastated by this news and he spends time weeping, fasting, praying. He weeps and he prays and he fasts and he fasts and he weeps and he prays and this goes on for days. And he confesses the sins of his people and he confesses the sins of his own heart and he asks for God to step in and do something. Now look at the end of the chapter with me and we're going to read verse 11 and then into chapter 2. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Not only did Nehemiah serve in the palace, but he was the cupbearer to the king. He would, he would be the butler. He was there before the king. And it came to pass, the beginning of chapter 2, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid." And said unto the king, let the, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, where my father is buried, where my forefathers, where they, where they are laid, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Do you have a friend or relative that every time you ask them to tell you something, or you ask them a question, they have to start at the very beginning with all of the little minute details? Grandma, what, what time is Thanksgiving dinner going to be? Well, when I was a child, we always did Thanksgiving at noon on Thursday. Nehemiah is telling us the story of how he built the wall around Jerusalem. But he doesn't start with the first brick. He doesn't even start when he's in Jerusalem. He starts when he's not in Jerusalem, when he's in Shushan in a palace. And he hears the news that the walls are broken down and the gates are burned. Because this is the very beginning of the story. Because the the rebuilding of the wall began when Nehemiah found out that they were broken and his heart broke. Nehemiah's hands and feet would go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and place the new gates. He would go and lead the people, but his hands and his feet would get there long after his heart was there. His heart would be in Jerusalem first. His heart would break first. And so when Nehemiah's heart was at the wall in Jerusalem, he then followed it. Before Nehemiah ever laid the eyes on the wall himself, before he even even started dreaming of rebuilding the wall, his heart was broken over the wall. And and rebuilding always starts with brokenness. Because, first of all, you, you don't rebuild something that isn't broken. Right? It's not broke, don't fix it. But two, nothing ever gets rebuilt without a heartbreaking first. No one will be passionate enough. No one will have the the desire, the zeal, the, the, the passion, the resiliency to see something through and see something done until they are first broken hearted over it. It won't matter enough until it matters to us. The people in Jerusalem knew that the wall was destroyed. These guys that come through the palace, they tell Nehemiah, what they have seen. The people there are living there. Their hands and feet are right there at the wall every day. They wake up every morning and look out their own windows and walk out of the doors of their homes, and it's right before them. But the proximity of their hands and feet mattered little because their heart was not in the rebuilding of the wall. The people in Jerusalem knew the wall was destroyed, but their heart wasn't in it. And it doesn't matter that our hands and feet are close. And it doesn't matter that our hands and feet are capable if our heart never breaks. Because our hands and feet follow our hearts. Our hands and feet follow our hearts. Where our heart is, is where our hands will go to work. Where our feet will carry us. Building always starts with broken hearts. And there are many things that we know need to be done, and we have the capability to do them. We have the opportunity to do them. We have it before us, but we are not doing them because our heart has not broken over it. It's not something we're passionate about. It's not something we're burdened for. We will never rebuild what's broken down if we are never broken over it. And here's the problem that we live in, the culture that we live in, constantly raises up the ideal and we have more tools at our disposal to pretend that things are okay than ever before. Today we are surrounded with opportunities to portray that our life is going amazing, that everything is fine when it is not. Today we're able to edit our image, we're able to publish what we want, we're able to share only the details that make us look good, And we're able to pretend like never before that everything is okay. We're able to bring this great divide between perception and reality. Nehemiah is is in Shushan. He's in the palace. As far as Nehemiah knows, things are getting better. The people are rebuilding. They're working. But when he hears the news of what things are really like, he's broken over it. And the difference between what he had perceived or what he had hoped, what he had imagined, and what was real was vast. And occasionally we receive word or we bump into reality and we have this idea built up that everything is okay, that everything's heading in the right direction, that everything is as it should be. And then we realize, no, it's not. It's broken down and the gates are burned and everything's falling apart. And we realize in that moment that everything is fragile. Have you heard of the, the fire Festival? It was in the news quite a bit, about a month ago. It was this huge festival that was going to be in, uh, in the Bahamas on this small island. And it gained an incredible amount of popularity because models and people with large following, celebrities, were, were publishing online how incredible this thing was going to be. And people went, and the cheapest ticket, the cheapest ticket was $1,200. People paid thousands of dollars to go to this this place that had, had advertised it was going to have luxury accommodations with masseuses and five-star culinary food, incredible experiences, and great bands. And they get there to this island, and what they found are tents with cots in them, and the cots are wet because it rained the night before, and there's not enough water for everybody to drink, and there's no sewage. It was camping on the beach was what it was. Everybody's upset, and they want their money back, and... They cancel the concert and they can't even get everybody off the island and the five-star culinary experiences, ham sandwiches and styrofoam containers. What happened was they portrayed this incredible experience and then reality set in. If you've ever gone on a vacation and you've booked a hotel by looking at pictures online, you've experienced this to some degree. Perhaps not to to that extreme of, of, of an experience, but you you say like, oh, they just they just cropped in the little part of the picture. And Ami had it in his head what what Jerusalem looked like, but then he heard what the situation really was, and he was heartbroken for it over it. He's instantly broken. There's an immediate response. Look at verse 4. He says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. Wherever Nehemiah was when he heard this, right then he sat down and wept. He didn't say, Hey, I need to go home for the day and just kind of think on this and journal it. No, he immediately broke down and cried. And then he cried for days. He continued to weep over it. He was extremely broken. Now the fact that this, this was a long-standing issue long before Nehemiah knew about it didn't make it any less heartbreaking to him. These people that showed up at the palace and told him about it, they knew about this for a long time. So it was old news to them. But when Nehemiah found out, it was news. And it was heartbreaking news. And Jeremy Cowards a Christian artist and his brother was a Christian musician who died suddenly of a massive heart attack. He was in his 40s. He had small children. It was a heartbreaking experience. Like a year after his brother had passed away, he ran into one of their friends from high school. And the excitement of seeing an old friend quickly changed when he realized this friend did not know that his brother had passed away. And he had to break the news to him that his brother had passed last year, and it was brand new and fresh for that man. Jeremy Coward had been living with it for a year, but it was a brand new, fresh, heartbreaking news to this man. And friends, we are surrounded with brokenness that is long-standing, but that doesn't make it any less tragic. The fact that the condition of our community is long-standing does not make it any less tragic. Does it make it any less tragic when someone passes away in in, in, in a car accident? Does it make it any less tragic that that happens regularly in our country? It's still tragic. And though there are people in Jerusalem that were living every day with this reality, it was still tragic, and the freshness of this news breaks Nehemiah's heart. Now, what's tempting sometimes is for us to, to try to insulate ourselves from this type of news to insulate ourselves from, from this type of bumping into reality so that we can remain in our perception that everything is okay. We live with this idea that ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is ignorance. It was only when Nehemiah found out and his heart was broken that God could begin this work. This is the story of the walls being rebuilt and the gates being replaced. And it starts with Nehemiah finding out some heartbreaking news. And Nehemiah bumps into this news, and then this is really important. He weeps over it for days. He does not attempt to forget about it. He does not attempt to minimize it. He does not attempt to shake it off. He sits with it. And he weeps over it. And through this weeping and praying, through this utter breaking of his heart, God prepares him for the work that lie ahead. Nehemiah never would have rebuilt the wall if he didn't first allow his heart to break over this. And I'm afraid that there are times that we don't want our hearts to be broken. That we don't want to face tragedy. We don't want to look around at our community and be honest with ourselves about the condition. We don't want to be honest with ourselves about the condition of our friends. We don't want to be honest with ourselves about the condition of our family. We don't want to talk about the fact that they're lost in their sins and that they're lost in their sins when they, they leave this earth that they will meet God as their judge and they will be separated from Him forever in an eternity of punishment and pain in hell. We don't want to talk about that. It's not pleasant. But if our hearts aren't broken over that fact, we will not be prepared to do what God has called us to do, to stand in that gap. Nehemiah's heart was broken and he was broken for days over it. And through this experience, God prepared him for the task that was ahead. Nehemiah's first step in rebuilding the wall was embracing his grief, embracing his grief. His, his grief led to his passion and resilience that we will see in the rest of this book. When people oppose him, when people threaten him, when people turn against him, he continues to build the wall. Why? Because this is something that God has put deep in his heart. Nehemiah's heart is broken open and God places this deep within and if he was never broken over, it was something that he was just going to give a triad or see if it would work, he wouldn't have stuck with it. But because he was passionate about this, he stuck with it. A man by the name of Jerry Sitzer took his family on an outing to a Native American reservation. It was a part of a school project for his two elementary school-aged daughters. He and his wife and his mother accompanied the girls on this trip. They had a wonderful time at the Native American Reservation, learned a lot. They got in the car to head home, and as they were heading home, Jerry noticed a car that was traveling at them at a high rate of speed and driving erratically. Because he could see that this person was driving in a way that was unsafe, he pulled over to the side of the road and stopped. But that did not stop this car from striking them. And in the accident, one of Jerry's daughters died. His wife died. And his mother died. He lost three generations of women in his family in this tragic accident. He was broken. And then it got worse. The man who hit him had his pregnant wife in the car, and she died in the accident. And when he was taken to court, he argued that he was not the man behind the wheel because he was drunk. He argued that his pregnant wife was the one that was behind the wheel. And because they could not conclusively prove that he was the driver instead of his pregnant, now deceased wife, he was found not guilty. And on top of this great tragedy, Jerry looks as this man is allowed to go free. He didn't minimize his grief. He didn't run from his grief. He didn't distract himself from his grief. He embraced his grief. And he said for three years, his grief consumed him. But through this experience, he found out that grief and tragedy can stretch our hearts and souls. He said that he found out that the soul is elastic. That through great tragedy, it is, it is brought to a place where it is capable of greater hate and anger, and bitterness than ever before. But he also found that that elasticity of the soul, that that stretching of the heart, also makes room for greater joy and peace, mercy, and forgiveness than ever before. And he wrote in a book about the experience that grief is an unexpected grace. Grace. Because it opens our heart. It stretches our soul. Nehemiah's heart and soul were stretched. And I'm sure that in those early days, there was anger at the people in Jerusalem, that they were not doing something. There was frustration at the people over their sins that it brought them to that point. But it came to a place where Nehemiah's heart that had been stretched was filled with courage and strength, and resilience, and faith. Now hear me, church. If grief can do this to our hearts and souls, if adversity and trial can do this to our spirit, we should not be people who run from grief. We should not be people who run from adversity. We should not be people who minimize, play down, or pretend. Did you notice what happens to Nehemiah when he goes back to work? Did you pick up on that? Nehemiah says, towards the end of his prayer, he's saying, God, give me grace in the sight of this man, the king. And he says, I was afraid because I'd never been of sad countenance before the king. The king didn't want you to show up to work all glum. The king didn't want to hear a report that things were going badly. So when Nehemiah shows up and his countenance is sad, did you you notice the king says, why are you sad? You're not sick. This is just sadness of the heart. And what does Nehemiah say? I was very afraid. He was afraid. He was afraid to be real in front of the king. He was afraid to allow his emotion to show. His brokenness to to be on display. Kings in this this day and age, they did what they wanted. They would kill messengers if they didn't like the message. Towards the end of, of World War II, no one wanted to give Hitler the bad news that they were losing the war. Because he would fly off the handle. He could kill them. So nobody gave him the bad reports. And things were getting worse and worse and nobody wanted to be the one to tell Hitler how bad things were. Nobody wanted to be the one to come and tell the king that everything wasn't perfect. So they pretended that everything was okay. So for Nehemiah to walk into the palace with a face that was distraught and a frame that showed the evidence of fasting and brokenness, This was an act of courage. And may our church never be like that king's palace where we are afraid to be real with the brokenness that we sit with. That we are afraid to show the adversity that we are facing. On Friday afternoon, I saw someone who said, Hey, how's it going? And I said, Not great. And you, you would have thought that I handed them a hand grenade. They didn't know what to do with that. They had already started into so that's great. Oh, Wait, what? What's wrong? And I was like, oh man, well, I got to go. We don't know what to do with that. But the church here, among this family, This should be the place that we can be absolutely real. What did James say? Confess your faults. Ask for your brothers and sisters to pray for you. Ask for them to come alongside of you. I I desperately want our church to be a place where we are real. That those who are married can sing songs. Those who are afflicted can pray. Nehemiah is honest. And because he's honest, the king says, Nehemiah, what do you need? I'll provide it. And through this transparency, through this openness, the king gives Nehemiah permission to go to Jerusalem and oversee the rebuilding of the wall. And the king says, "I'll cover the bill, Nehemiah." You see, when we're open, we're honest, we can find help. We got a lot of bad news this week. Anne was in the ICU on, on Sunday. She's here today, praise the Lord. James lost a cousin who's only 26 on Monday. Brenda lost her uncle on Wednesday. And we got the call about Benny on Thursday. And I considered pushing this series back. We'll talk about Nehemiah later. We We need to look at a psalm or something. We need to talk about the Lord is my shepherd or something today. Then I realized, no, because Nehemiah started exactly where we're at right now. Nehemiah started with a broken heart. And once he was broken, then he began to build. Secondly, my heartbeat for and my constant drum beating about the new core group didn't start with me. When I when I had that, that that speech last November, there were two things that led up to that moment. The first was for the previous year, in just about every board meeting, and in just about any time that Benny and I got together to talk about a project of the church, our Sunday school, he would say, We need. People to step up. We need God to raise up leaders. That was his common refrain. That was his heartbeat. And we talked about that and we prayed over it. And that has been our emphasis. That has been our, 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 our cry. We need people who are going to follow Jesus, grow in a group, and serve on a team. We need people who who will come and they will they will be accountable, they will be faithful, they will be steadfast in the original core group. There were in our people who followed God's lead and God did extraordinary things through them. And we could never fill those shoes but we can follow their footsteps. And that's been the call. So that was one thing. Second thing I remembered yesterday. Yesterday was the Chandler Youth Fishing Tournament. And I was there because I know so much about fishing. (laughs) I don't know anything about fishing, but I was there volunteering and helping measure, and I remembered something from the previous year. I remembered a, a guy who was there with his son fishing, his name is Jesse. And ten days before Anniversary Sunday last year, October 26th, Jesse was killed by a drunk driver here on the highway in Chandler. And when I got up on that Anniversary Sunday morning, I said, our heart's desire, our prayer, is that God would use our church to let every child in Chandler know that God loves them and has a plan for them. That includes Jesse's son. And that addiction and brokenness, that would not be an ever present reality in our community, but a painful memory of our past. See there was, there was this brokenness. What breaks our hearts? What breaks our hearts? We'll have to start with brokenness. We'll have, to, we'll have to be heartbroken first. And then we'll build. Because our hands and our feet will follow our hearts. Where are our hearts? And for our hearts to be broken, it may mean to think on things that are unpleasant. To be honest and real with ourselves about the condition of our community, of our friends, of our family, who are lost in their sins. For us to be passionate about building a church that our neighbors and friends will join, that our children will one day lead, we're going to have to be broken for those neighbors and friends and children. What are our hearts broken over? We'll be broken before we build. And may our church be a place where you're not just allowed to be broken, but that God breaks our hearts for the things that break His heart. Aspire heads for a word of prayer. Father, this 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 service has been personal and emotional, and Lord, our hearts are, are filled with with grief, our hearts are filled with with sorrow, our hearts are filled with faith, our hearts are filled with hope, and Lord, we thank you that as our hearts are are stretched, as our hearts are broken, Lord, that you pour in your grace, that you pour in your peace. Oh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be broken over what breaks your heart. Lord, I pray that, that our hearts be broken over the condition of our community, of our friends, of our family. Lord, that our hearts be broken over our own sin. Lord, that we would be driven, as Nehemiah did, to, to confess our sins. Not just the sins of our community, not just the sins of our ancestors, not just the sins of those around us, but our own sins. Lord, whatever the need may be in our heart today, Lord, I pray that they would feel freedom to be broken, to call on You. We ask these things in Jesus' name.